Hey, hey guys, good morning. Glad you're here. I used to work at a church in Florida, and we had a summer elementary day camp. So parents would come drop their kids off, you know, at 8.30 in the morning, and we would essentially babysit them, run them ragged so they'd be exhausted by the end of the day when parents came to pick them up at about 4.30 or 5 o'clock. It was an awesome time. It was so much fun. It wasn't really in my department in student ministries, but I used to love to go hang out over there because it was just an absolute blast. The kids were great. There were about 200 of them or so that came uh, every single week, so there were a bunch of them. They were different ages, different backgrounds, different personalities. They were just rad. It was a lot of fun. There were also a lot of really unique and interesting people that worked at that day camp. And so I had a lot of fun hanging out with them, getting to know them. There were teenagers who were just looking for a summer job. There were university students who were making some cash on the side. There were teachers in their 20s and 30s. And then the directors of the camp were in their 40s and 50s. And one of them might have been in her 60s, but don't tell her I said that, all right? So there was a huge range of people that worked at this camp every single week. My favorite employee there, though. The favorite person I had was a guy named Ronnie. And Ronnie used to be an NFL football player. He played for the Cincinnati Bengals and for the New Orleans Saints. He was a tight end. He was a big, massive, burly, masculine football kind of guy. And he was a lot of fun. He had great stories. He had a super awesome personality. We loved hanging out with Ronnie. After he retired from football, he was trying to figure out, what am I do with my life. And so he one day came into work and he had this idea that he shared with us. He said, guys, I think I'm going to start a business as a personal trainer. He said, I would love it if people would come to me and I could help get them in shape. You know, I could train them in some NFL ways, run them through some of the same drills and things that we used to do in college and in the pros. I think people would pay for that. What do you guys think? And we were like, dude, that's a fantastic idea, Ronnie. I think a lot of people would jump at the opportunity to have a personal trainer who was a a former elite athlete, right? A lot of people would do that. So then he dropped this on us. He said, okay, guys, here's what I'm thinking. I want to start a test class. And he said, I want to kind of run through some of the things that I'm thinking about doing with clients in the next few months. But he said, I need to kind of work out all the kinks. I need to practice on some people, essentially. And so he was like, would you guys be willing to be this test class. So we would get together every Saturday morning and uh, he said, I would run you through all the workouts and stuff. I will get you so shredded, Dan. I will get you swole, as you can tell it worked. Um, He said, I mean, he was, he was a good salesman. He was like, guys, I will get you in the best shape of your life and I'm not gonna charge you a dime for it because you guys are letting me kind of work it all out. So you understand, you know, we're still figuring it all out. If you're good with that, I would love for you guys to be a part of this test class. Of course we all signed up. Who would not want to be a part of that? To have an NFL player as your personal trainer for three months and you didn't have to pay a single dollar in order to make it happen? I mean, come on, it was a no-brainer. So everybody signed up for that class. We showed up the first Saturday at the city park. And did I mention like there was a wide variety of people that worked at our preschool day camp, right? So we had young people, uh, some of whom were in relatively good shape. We have older folks who probably used to be in good shape, but you know, not so much anymore. We had people who were very active and folks that were not active at all. It was a huge, huge range of people that showed up on that first Saturday. Did I also mention that this guy was planning on putting everybody through an NFL-type fitness program. Did I mention that? We had three people throw up in the first 30 minutes. I'm not exaggerating. It was an absolute wreck. Now, 
I didn't throw up for 90 minutes. Once we hit the 90 minute mark, I was done. That was it. That was the end for me. It was a very, very tough program. And that was some of the feedback that we gave Ronnie very gently afterwards. This probably was fantastic for elite athletes. But if you're not an athlete, if you're coming off the couch, it was probably a bit too much. The one thing I can say about it though, is that he challenged us. I mean, he really did. He pushed us. He pressured us. He stretched us. He wanted to find that point where we thought, I'm done. I can't give any more. And then he wanted us to keep going. And that's what you hire a personal trainer for, isn't it? I don't know. I've never hired one myself. But I'm assuming that that's what you hire them for, to push you so that you can become the person you want to be. You know there's a gap between where you are and where you want to get to, and that personal trainer is the one who comes along and pressures you or challenges you to get from here to there. Challenges are not a bad thing. We need people to challenge us in our lives if we're going to get from where we are to where it is that we are supposed to be. You know this is true. If you want to become a really great hockey player, then you need a coach who's going to challenge you in your stick handling and in your shooting and all of those different things. You need someone that's going to be there to challenge you. If you're a teacher and you have students that are underperforming, you have to challenge them. You have to stretch them, push them, pressure them so that they will rise above mediocrity. Your boss sometimes has to challenge you to get those expense receipts turned in and get your work done on time and all that stuff. And in reality, the reason that they're doing that is to stretch you, to grow you, to make you more productive, to get you from here so that you can be there. If you're a parent, you know this is true. You've got to challenge your kids. If they're going to get their homework done, if your little son is ever going to take a bath, if you're going to get them and say to them every single day, okay, I want you to make wise choices, if you want them to actually do that, then you have to push them. You have to pressure them. It was funny, that phrase, make good choices. That's what the moms used to say every single day as they dropped their kids off, you know, for the summer camp. So they'd get them out of their car and they're all cute walking up there. Mom would kiss them on the forehead, say, I love you, make good choices. And it was mom after mom after mom after mom. Apparently that's the standard goodbye to kids. We need people that will challenge us. That is true in every area of your life. Although we often kind of bristle, we kind of bow up when somebody wants to challenge us, the reality is we need those people. That's true in your physical life. It's true in your emotional and relational life. It's true in your financial life. It's also true in your spiritual life. If you're going to get from where you are to where God wants you to be, there's going to be a little pressure on you at some point. There's going to be some challenges that come your way. There is going to be some pushing. There's going to be some stretching because that's how life works. We don't change until we are challenged. You have to be challenged in order to be changed. Without adversity, there's no advancement. It does not come. Without any pressure, there's never any promotion. You will not get any better than where you are unless someone or something from within or from without comes along and pushes you in the direction that you need to go. Now, I say all that to give you a bit of a warning this morning because we're in the second week of this series that we're calling The Genius of Jesus. And we're asking the question, how is it 
that this carpenter, he was a carpenter for God's sake, who lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. How is it that Jesus transformed the world? How is it that this man is able to change the course of history? How is it that this guy is consistently ranked the most influential, the most important figure throughout all of human history? We're asking that question. And what we decided last week was that Jesus was able to transform the world because he transformed people. That's what he did differently and better than anyone else. He transformed people. So there are lots of figures that are well-revered in history. We talked about them in week one. Go back, check out the podcast. You can hear a little bit about some of them. Every one of them made their contribution to our world. Every one of them changed the society or the course of history by changing government or changing culture or changing systems or they started wars or they made some scientific discovery or they created some sublime art that transformed what people thought was possible. That's how they transformed the world. But Jesus changed everything by changing people like you and like me. But Jesus also challenges us. You need to understand that. People have this idea that Jesus was essentially a softy, that he was a pushover, that he was meek and mild, that he was a hippie. He was all about love. But when you dig into Jesus' words, what you find out is he said some incredibly, incredibly challenging things. He pushed the envelope. He pressures you and me so that we can become the people that God always intended for us to be. So we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna continue there again today. We're gonna be looking at this message, this sermon, the speech that Jesus gave in which his genius was on full display. And in which, again, I'm just warning you guys up front, he pressures us because every once in a while, we honestly need to be pressured in order to become the folks that God wants us to be. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter number five. I'm going to invite you to turn there in your Bible if you have a copy. If not, we've got the verses here on the screen for you. Matthew chapter number five. And we're going to pull a few verses out here. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to highlight a few sections of verses here in which Jesus issues some challenges to you and to me. Now, before we read these words, I want to give you just a little bit of context, a little background so you understand what's going on when we read these words. Everything Jesus said and did, he did for a purpose. He did it for a reason. It wasn't in a vacuum. There were some things going on in the culture around him, in the world around him, that caused him to say and do the things that he did here in the Gospels. And so in Jesus' day, there were a group of religious people. In fact, they were the most important religious group around at the time. They were called the Pharisees. And for the Pharisees, they thought if they followed the rules, then God would accept them. They thought if we followed all the rules in the Old Testament, we talked last week about how there were 613 commands that an observant Jew was supposed to keep. The Pharisees had them all memorized and they could tell you how good they were at keeping all of those commandments. I don't know if you know any people like that who are really great at telling you all the good things that they do. The Pharisees were also great at pointing out the other people around them who did not keep the law particularly well. 
And you probably know some people like that as well. Because if you're a Pharisee and you can point out how everyone else is failing to measure up, then God can't be too mad with you because at least you're better than them, right? So that's who the Pharisees were. They thought, if I follow these rules super closely, if my behavior is correct, then God will accept me. And Jesus issues a challenge to them. He says here in in Matthew chapter number five, let's start reading here in verse number 21. He says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. He's referencing the 10 commandments, right? You shall not kill. You've heard that one of our ancestors was told you must not murder. But he says, if, and if you commit murder, you are subject to the judgment. But in verse 22, he says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, then you are subject to the same judgment. If I asked you this morning, have you murdered anybody yet today? You would hopefully say, no, of course not. What a dumb question. Gold star, congrats me. I made it through the day without choking anybody out, right? Like, good job. If we focus on this external behavior, if we focus on the outward manifestation of this commandment, then great, we're all doing wonderful, aren't we? We've all managed to make it through the morning without killing anybody. Congrats. But if we ask a different question, if I say, have any of you been angry in the last 24 hours? There'd be a whole lot more of us that would have to say, oh, yep, I have been. In fact, I think all of us have experienced some level of anger in the past day or so. Something got us upset. Something got our blood boiling. Some of us have even lashed out severely in the past 24 hours because of the anger that was boiling just beneath the surface. Hey, you might not have killed anybody today, but it's possible that your anger is killing your marriage. It's possible that your anger is killing the life-giving relationships that God wants you to be a part of. And so Jesus comes along and he says to the Pharisees, he says to those of us who live today who think, hey, I'm a good person because my behavior is exactly what it should be. And he says, okay, great, good job, gold star. But what about the things that are going on just below the surface? What about the things that nobody else sees? You haven't killed anybody, and yet you walk around angry, ready to explode at the drop of a hat. He said, let's not pretend that your life is where God wants it to be if that's the situation that you find yourself in today. Let me give you another example. He keeps going. It gets more awkward. I'm just going to tell you up front. In verse number 27 here, Jesus moves from talking about anger to talking about adultery. Lighthearted conversation. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. To which we would all say, yeah, that's obviously, we agree, Jesus. You should not commit adultery. It's always a bad idea. Right on, I'm with you. And then he says in verse 28, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Pharisees were focused on their behavior, right? The men would be like, hey, I've never cheated on my wife. And Jesus is like, awesome, great. You've never had an affair with that mom on your kid's soccer team, but you've spent a lot of time thinking about how it would be if you did. Oh, man, you thought Jesus was a hippie. You thought he was all about love and hugs and rainbows and puppies and sunshine. And then he says stuff like this. 
Remember, Jesus doesn't say this stuff to break us down. He says it to build us up. He says it so that we can become the people that God has always meant for us to be. If you want to go from here to there, you're going to have to be pressured. Somebody's going to have to come along and tell you things that you don't want to hear. Otherwise, you're never going to change. Hey, you uncomfortable yet? (laughs) Jesus said it, not me, so blame him, all right? Let's move on. We'll we'll go to a different (laughs) subject here, okay? We'll go to a different subject. We'll get away from the stuff that nobody likes talking about. Let's look at what he says here in verse 38. You've heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, then offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, then give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, then carry it two miles. Again, the Pharisees were all concerned about their behavior. They were doing the bare minimum. They were doing exactly what was required of them. And in this case, their actions were justified. So prior to this, Jesus has been giving some examples that would qualify as sin, bad ideas, never acceptable for any of us, right? To blow up in anger or to break our covenant vows with our wife or our husband. Now he talks about some justifiable stuff. If somebody comes up and punches you in the face, I'm just going to tell you as the pastor, it's okay to hit them back in some cases, all right? That's what my dad always told me. Don't throw the first punch, but you got to do what you got to do to defend yourself. That's conventional wisdom. And then Jesus comes along and he says, hey, it's possible for your actions to be justified and your attitudes to not be. He says, hey, if you're sued at court, it makes total sense to go and defend yourself. Of course you would do that. Anybody would do that. But what if your actions are justified? On the outward side, you're doing all the right things, and yet on the inside, you're doing all the wrong things. See, if you're defending yourself, whether it's in court or in a playground fight or at work against somebody who's talking smack about you, I don't know. If you're defending yourself and that's coming from a place of sinful pride or if it's coming because you're just stubborn and you refuse to give in, I will not let that dude win. If that's where it's coming from, then according to Jesus, you need a heart check. Your behavior might be acceptable, but Jesus calls us to something much, much deeper. In fact, when you read through the things that Jesus says over and over again, you find out that he tells us God is more concerned with what's going on on the inside than what's going on on the outside. There are a lot of people in our world who believe the Christian religion teaches God wants people who behave. That's it. That's what it means to be a Christian. You follow the rules. You do all the right things. Honestly, that's why some people are Christians because they're good at following the rules. And so they're like, oh, this just fits in very well with how my personality is wired. Look at me, God loves me because I follow the rules. There are also people who don't believe in God and they still think that God wants followers who follow the rules. And so they're never going to commit themselves to Jesus because they know they don't follow the rules particularly well. And they have a sinking suspicion that if there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God out there, that we probably can't reduce our relationship with him down to a list of do's and don'ts, thou shalt's and thou shalt not's. Hey, can I say if that's your attitude, if that's your perception this morning, you're right. 
you are absolutely right. Jesus tells us that God wants what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. It's entirely possible for the outside to be on point and for the inside to be an absolute train wreck. God desires your heart to be right first and foremost. Now look, Jesus gives us a few more examples. We don't have a lot of time to go through all of them. They're not on the screen. I'm just going to highlight them for you, okay? Go back through. Read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's not a long passage. You can knock it out in 20 minutes. I promise you it'll change your life. It's so, so good. And in this passage, Jesus gives us a few more examples of the ways in which we focus on the outside. God wants the inside to be right, So in Matthew chapter number six, verse one, he starts talking about giving to the needy. And he says, look, if you're giving to people who are in need in a way that draws attention to yourself so that people are like, man, she is just the sweetest woman. I swear she would do anything for anybody. If you're giving so that people look and say, man, that is one generous man. He is willing to give and give and give. Then Jesus says, you've got all the rewards you're ever gonna get out of that. Your behavior is right, but your attitude, your emotions, your intentions, the reason is not where it should be. And the inside is what matters to God. He goes on a few verses later, Matthew 6, he starts talking about prayer. And he says, if you pray in such a way that you draw attention to yourself, so everybody thinks, man, that person is very spiritual. Look at how beautifully they pray. They're awesome. If you do that, then Jesus says, your heart is in the wrong place. It's with the wrong motivations. That's all you're ever going to get out of it. And so all the rest of you guys this morning who were like, I can't pray out loud to save my life. Jesus is on your side, all right? (laughs) He gives you another example. This one's a little touchier. He talks about money. And he says, if your goal is to be successful and to earn money so that you can spend all of those resources on yourself, The behavior's okay. There's nothing wrong with earning money. In fact, there are several scriptures in the Bible that command us to do well in business to the best of our ability because that's good stewardship. It's good management of what God has given us. The behavior is not the issue, but if you're earning so that you can spend it all on yourself, then Jesus says the motive, the attitude, the intention of your heart is greed, and that's a problem. Because that's going to manifest itself in some pretty terrible ways later on in your life. Again and again and again, Jesus says, God does not want people who follow the rules. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. I don't care if your grandmother told that to you. I don't care if your father-in-law who goes to church every single Sunday, if he gives you the impression that what God primarily wants is for you to behave, I'm telling you he's never read the Bible. Not really. Because God wants our hearts. When he has our hearts, then the behavior, the actions, they tend to take care of themselves. The genius of Jesus, this is one of the reasons he changed the world, is that he challenges us to make our private lives as much a priority as our public lives. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to put as much time and effort into being as you do into doing. 
He wants you to focus on the heart, focus on the soul, focus on your reasons, your motives, your intentions. If you'll get those right, then the behaviors that you struggle with, the issues that seem to creep up over and again, those things will kind of fade away when you deal with what's going on on the inside. Now look, this is true in your life and you know it whether you've ever thought of it this way or not. Motives matter. Attitudes are important. Intentions make a difference. You see, you don't only want your spouse to stay married to you. Believe it or not, you don't only want them to stay married to you. You want them to want to stay married to you, right? If the only reason that your marriage is together right now is for the kids or what would my mom say, then you know that's not what you're after. That's not what you've wanted. Motives matter. What's going on below the surface is just as important and often more important than what everyone else sees. Motives matter. You know that it's true. You know your kids don't get credit for doing the dishes and completing their homework only after you screamed and begged and threatened and punished. That's how they got it done. Then they don't get credit. No, their intentions, their motivations matter. You want them to do it for the right reasons. If it's true in your marriage, if it's true at your business, if it's true in, with your relationship with your kids, then it's also true of your relationship with God. What's on the inside matters far more than what happens on the outside. So let me give you a, a, just a tiny bit of homework if I can, just the littlest bit, guys. I'm not going to ask much of you, okay? I promise. It'll be very simple, and I think anybody can do it. First off, give yourself a heart check. Seriously, ask, what's going on below the surface? Not, am I a nice person? Not, did I kill anybody or steal anything? Or, don't ask the easy questions. Ask the hard questions. Or if you're not able to come to a right answer, ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask your kids. Ask your boss, coworker. Hey, what do you see from me? Because a lot of times there are issues, there are emotions, there are things going on just beneath the surface that we're totally blind to. But if we could identify them and then start to address them, life could change. Can you imagine how different your relationship with your kids would be if you learned to control your temper? How different would it be? Do you have any idea how much good it would do your wife to know that you don't sit around and fantasize about women every day. That would be good for your marriage. Do you have any idea how much better your job would be if you got over your need to please everybody and to be liked by everybody? If you could deal with that heart stuff, then life can be as good as you always hoped it could be. Part of the reason that you've never been able to deal with these things before is because you're addressing the symptoms. You're dealing with the surface level stuff. And as long as everything is okay for others to see, then everything must be okay. And Jesus challenges us and he says, that's not how it works. Whole people, 
healthy people, spiritually mature people, not only have their behavior where God wants it to be, but their heart is right too. I dare say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what you believe is missing in most churches and in most Christians. They do all the right things. Those Christians say all the right stuff, but it's like there's something underneath that's missing. It's the heart. It's the motive. It's the intention. Because those things genuinely do matter. Give yourself a heart check. Identify the things that are really going on in your heart and then do everything you can to start to address it. I want you to know that it begins with identifying what's happening below this nice facade that you've created. Do a heart check. Ask yourself the hard questions. Until you do, until you challenge yourself that way, you will never get from here over to there. And then the other thing I'll tell you is this. Don't do it alone. You can't. You weren't meant to do it alone, actually. You were designed to be in community with other people who know just how screwed up your life is and they love you anyway. That's what we exist for as a church. I'll I'll tell you, none of us are gonna walk around here at Connect and act like we have it together. Least of all me. Because I know what's going on under the surface. You see the guy that stands up and preaches for 30 minutes on Sunday. That doesn't tell you who I am. And when I see you and you smile and you say, everything's great, Dan, thanks for asking. It's been such a good week. I know that's not fully true. I know there are things happening. And so when you come to a place like Connect, you're coming to a place that is okay with you not being okay. That's all right. Because you were not meant to deal with the heart issues alone. I'll say it like this. If you could deal with your anger by yourself, you would have already done it. If you could deal with your greed or lust or fear or people pleasing, if you could deal with that on your own, it wouldn't be a problem today. But because it still is, that should be a solid sign to you that God wants you to allow others to help you to get from here to there. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to walk up and confess your sins. You don't have to walk up and say, hey, I'm Dan, good to meet you. I did X, Y, and Z this week. No, that's a bad idea, all right? That's not the community we're talking about. You might actually get laughed at um, and you'll probably turn people away. What I want you to do is find some relationships, whether it's here in the church or somebody that you trust in your own life, find one or two people that you can be honest with. And you can say, guys, I don't know what the heck is going on, but at home, I have just been boiling over constantly. And if I don't get a hold of it, I don't know where it's going to stop. You need to find somebody that you can say to, listen, I believe there's a God. And yet some days I'm just not so sure. I don't know. Would you pray for me? Would you help walk with me through this? Because I know I put on a happy face, but underneath there's stuff. just Just can't deal with it by myself. That's why we encourage you to get plugged into a small group. Those are coming in January. They're coming pretty quick, just a few weeks away. We're excited about that. We want you to gather with other people who can encourage you and also hold you accountable. 
When we talk about personal trainers, when we talk about good coaches, good teachers, that's what they do. They encourage you and they hold you accountable for getting from here to there. Spiritually speaking, you need somebody to do that for you. And one more thing. If I tell you don't do it alone, that means sure, invite somebody you trust into that issue. But most importantly, you're gonna need Jesus' help. That's ultimately what the gospel is. The message that Jesus came to preach is not God wants people who follow the rules. It's God wants people who admit they suck at following the rules. That's really what God's after. Because in that confession, we find grace. In that admission, we identify how far we still have to go. And until we identify it, we'll never overcome it. God wants you to turn to him with all the mess and the heartache and the heartbreak that you carry around every day and say, God, I don't know where to go from here. That's exactly where God wants you. You can trust that you have a loving heavenly father who will scoop you up in his arms and who will help you to become the person that he's always meant for you to be.